ゃあ、俺が、立候補して、この世の中を、この、この、世の中を、変えたい。その一心で、一生懸命訴えて、西の実の、縁もゆかりもない西の宮市民の皆様に選出されてやっと議員になったんです !Hello and welcome to Beyond Japan, an interdisciplinary podcast that looks at the broad reach of Japanese studies from within and beyond Japan.This podcast is brought to you by the Center for Japanese Studies at the Sainsbury Institute for the Study of Japanese Arts and Cultures, in collaboration with the University of East Anglia.I'm your host, Oliver Moxham. Project Support Officer at the Sainsbury Institute and researcher of Japanese war heritage. What you just heard is an infamous recording of a 2014 live television conference where Hyogo Prefecture Representative Ryotaro Nonomura was questioned on spending 3 million yen on expenses over 106 hot spring trips. This week we are joined by Dr. Igor Prusa, lecturer in media studies at the Metropolitan University Prague, who will explain the ritualizing scandal in Japan. Igor takes us through the surprisingly structured social phenomenon of scandal in Japan, the necessity for tears and a televised confession, and how those who confess can actually come out better for it. We hope you enjoy the show. Good afternoon, Igor. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. So, first of all, we'd like to know a bit more about you. Can you tell us about your area of expertise and how your interests have brought you there? Okay. Well, first of all, I have to say that I was never really interested in scandals. They were part of my reality, the mediated reality, but I paid little attention to them. Only when they were juicy enough, I noticed them. <laughs> so I had nothing to do with scandal. I don't find it interesting.、Uh, I didn't find it interesting at that point of time. To put it briefly, I majored in Japanese and German philology, and my MA thesis was on Japanese advertisements. I was analyzing、um, you know, the formal analysis and visual analysis of Japanese ads. And I was already working within the media discourse, media and communication. And then I moved to the Charles University in Prague, where I wrote my first PhD on Japanese media and society. And here I inevitably stumbled upon the scandal theory. Because Japanese scandal is really a phenomenon onto itself. And also, my other research focused on transgression and anti heroism, the function, the role of anti hero in popular fiction. And I realized that some basic tenets of fictional transgression and of anti heroism, including the dialectic of crime and punishment, This all could be translated into the discourse of factual news reporting. So, in other words, I decided to explore how scandals function in Japan and what are their usual symbolic implications. In 2009, I moved to Japan, namely the University of Tokyo, where I decided to pursue my second PhD. Which was titled Scandal, Ritual, and Media in Post War Japan. And in the end, I stayed at Todai for 10 years. And I would not recommend anyone to do a second PhD. And moreover, to be honest, again, after I published my first article on Japanese celebrity scandals, 
I grew very skeptical about my project. I really didn't have any deeper insight into the scandal theory yet. So I basically found the omnipresent Japanese scandals. I found them absurd and ridiculous. And I wanted to get rid of the topic, actually. And since I'm a musician and I have my own music band, I wanted to change my topic to Japanese underground music. However, my supervisor at Todai, Professor Shunya Yoshimi, who is the father of cultural studies in Japan, he's quite strict and he told me, you cannot change the topic. So I ended up pursuing my second PhD, where I developed the theory of Japanese scandal as ritual and performance. And the article we are discussing today is then a sort of summary of my research at Todai on scandal as ritual. Great. So your recent article then, uh, Japanese Scandals and Their Ritualization, looks at the media circus that occurs in Japan whenever a major corporate or political scandal takes place. Could you explain how these scandals can be explained as performance or ritual, and in what way this might alter our perceptions of what a scandal is? Yes. First of all, I reached the idea of Japanese scandals representing a specific form of ritual and performance. And first, I must say where my inspiration came from. I was always astonished by the media circus that surrounded almost every minor transgression in Japan in a society that emphasizes consensus and harmony. This is the traditional understanding of Japan. And I was particularly struck by the kabuki-like or theater-like quality of Japanese scandals where, you know, red-handed elites perform their scripted role, they repeat a standard set of phrases, they shed a couple of tears, and they bow deeply in a shower of camera flashes. And this is really something that drew me to study scandals in Japan a bit closer. But as one scandal theorist noted, scandals are fairy tales for adults. You know, the heroes fight for the good, the sacred cause. Usually they are represented by the prosecutors in Japan. Then you have the villains who violate the rules and pollute the system. This is the main transgressor. And finally, you have the victims who are usually represented by the citizens and consumers. And these are these have to be saved from the impact of the corruption. So it is one huge sort of fairy tale with ritual components. And I will mention that very soon. So based on the first observations, I realized that Japanese scandal seems to be a repetitive ceremony of degradation performed in a prescriptive manner. And also Japan is a ritual sensitive culture, which means that all kinds of ritual performances at various levels of quality are very important for maintaining the you know, social order. But you also have this critical view of scandal where the ritual of scandal is connected not only with the management of conflict, but also with the masking of social inequalities. Pierre Bourdieu would be one of the theorists who mentioned that. So the message of the scandal actually should be the system is broken and needs reform. But the media frame the scandal by indicating the system worked. So, so you have some masking of 
of social problems. So I thought it was not enough to see these scandals only as media events or news items. And I thought we can better understand the mechanisms behind Japanese scandals. If we look closely at the ritualized performance of all scandal actors, including the main transgressor, the whistleblowers, the media outlets, and the public as such. And in terms of my theoretical framework, I borrowed the idea of scandal as performance and ritual from cultural sociology. Sometimes it's also called neo-functionalism. But at any rate, in this discourse, all kinds of social practices, from traditional rituals to contemporary media events and scandals, are perceived and analyzed as social performances. The cultural sociologists would claim that every performance, no matter how instrumental, reflexive, or coerced, is embedded in a horizon of affect and meaning. And same as these rituals, scandals too aim to maintain the boundaries between the sacred, the good, and the, prof and the profane, the bad, by using affect. And you can see this use of affect in the so-called degradation ceremonies, which is a term by Harold Garfinkel. And it points to a ceremonial performance which transforms someone's entire status and identity to something lower. And this is precisely what is happening when the disgraced politicians and celebrities and corporate heads become humiliated live on TV during their confessions. So this is basically the ritual view of scandal. This view approaches scandals as public rituals and non-routine forms of social punishment. And in Japan, I argue that these rituals actually reflect uh, some moral conventions of Japanese civil religion or shimin shukyo. Shimin Shukyo, which was influenced by the Shintoist rituals, teaches about the act of becoming impure. This is the Japanese word kegare or tsumi. And then there is this necessity of the sacred in Japanese hare to purify itself in Japanese misogi from the pollution. So I argued the scandals too can be theoretically approached as purification rituals that seek to punish those who transgressed the norm. And this was revealed by the media to the public. And last thing, it's important to say that when I talk about scandal as ritual, talking about two levels. On the general level or the macro level, scandal functions as a collective ritual which follows major disturbances in society and seeks to reinforce social norms at, a, at times of some moral crisis, because scandal usually gives birth to a certain moral crisis that is dealt with. This is the first level of ritual. And the second level, the micro level, lies in scandals being constituted by individual performances of all actors, including their words, and actions. This level of analysis, I think, helps us better understand 
why Japanese transgressors during those scandals have to repeat a standard set of phrases, shed a couple of tears, and bow deeply. So the focus here is on the performance itself, which means focusing on a complex series of words and actions that produce a certain valuable result during scandals. So this would be my take on scandal as ritual and performance. Thank you. You mentioned that there tends to be a recurring pattern of behavior, or as you put it, performance to be able to call scandals rituals. So could you walk us through the elements that follow the discovery of scandal in Japan? Definitely. First of all, there are three main elements in scandal, as usually defined by the media theorists. So first, transgressions are disclosed. Second, they are met with public disapproval. And third, they are negatively sanctioned. So to put it more plainly, every scandal is structured by moral violation, media publicity, and public reaction. And if we look at the development of each scandal, we can say that the ideal type scandal, I'm repeating the ideal type scandal, progresses through five stages, transgression, secrecy, disapproval, damage, and stabilization. Transgression is a necessary prelude to scandal. Secrecy means that the transgression is disclosed via whistleblowing. The disapproval means that uh, the moral indignation is demonstrated by the media and the public. The damage is either individual or institutional. And the stabilization means the return to, uh, to everydayness. You know, the temporary period of social effervescence, as Emil Durkheim would put it, is over and the public returns to everyday media reality while the journalists return, return to their normal routines. Now, in Japanese context, it is important to know that scandals are usually kept private by the mainstream media. The big Japanese dailies, the big five, with Yomiuri as the biggest one, they avoid political controversies. And the first impulse for triggering scandal in Japan usually comes from the periphery, from the outside media. Most importantly, the weeklies or shukanshi, but also the monthlies, sports papers, local newspapers, foreign media, and as of recent, the social media. So in other words, the big media do not cover scandals, but they rather cover up scandals. While it is the shukanshi, the weeklies, who actually play the role of a democracy watchdog, which is quite uh, paradoxical. This is the scandal development in Japan if we talk about uh, scandal as a media product. You know, so there is this quite fixed pattern that, uh, where the initial exposure is realized through whistleblowing. Mean, uh, Japanese whistleblowers usually include company insiders, anonymous reporters, corporate auditors, but also the victims of corruption. And then the corruption investigation starts with a fishy magazine story published by some investigative reporter based on the whistleblowing. And if this story is picked by the prosecutors and the big media, a proper media scandal can emerge. But let's go back to the article. 
if we want to talk about scandal as a ritual, as a social ritual, uh, if you want to find out the basic elements, we need to go deeper in theory. I used Victor Turner's theory, uh, which is called a theory of social drama. And this consists of four basic elements, or if you want, four stages. The breach, the crisis, the redress, and the reintegration or schism. So in my article, I try to demonstrate that the development of Victor Turner's social drama can be paralleled to the development of scandals in Japan. And I suggested to focus on three main elements of an ideal type scandal in Japan, namely confession, exclusion, and reintegration. Now, the element of confession in Japanese jihaku, or the willingness to confess, is critical for the Japanese justice as such. Here, uh, there is an important term, and it is the restorative justice. In Japanese, shufukuteki saigi. What does it mean? Uh, the Japanese police, prosecutors, but also courts, traditionally placed emphasis on confession. The admission of guilt is a necessary condition for this restorative justice, where the main inclination is not to punish or retaliate, but to correct and restore. And I argued that this sentiment gets reflected in the way transgression and confession is treated in Japan. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, the confession is underpinned by a set of prescribed patterns for proceeding in this specific situation. The performances adhere to quite rigid rules and they usually stick to a prepared script. There is a fixed pattern of words and phrases that must be repeated if you want to uh, have a successful, effective confession. So the transgressors apologize always, uh, ovabe or shazai in Japanese. They apologize for failing their responsibility, sekinin. That's the key word that must be mentioned, sekinin. Then they uh, apologize for causing inconvenience or meyevaku and worry or shimpai. And of course, they, mm, they apologize to their professional platform or to citizens, the kokumin. But in reality, however, the outcome of a scandal is not as fixed as it looks like because it depends on what strategy the transgressor chooses during her or his confession. So the most frequent strategy is the apologetic strategy in Japanese, shazai no senryaku. This is typical for celebrity scandals where, you know, the apologizer fully confesses and admits responsibility in a tearful confession. But then we have a defensive strategy in Japanese, Mamori no Senryaku, which is based on claiming innocence, denying accusations, and using the secretaries as protective shields. I will get to it in a minute. So the politicians who use the defensive strategy, they usually organize a press conference 
during which they claim that they either did not do anything illegal or they were not aware of it. So again, there is a limited set of phrases and words which is used in uh, defensive strategies. So the politicians do not remember in Japanese, gozaimasen. they find it unnecessary to react in Japanese, kotaeru and almost always the politicians claim that they left the matter up to their secretaries in Japanese, hisho ni makaseta. So these are effective strategies of denial in scandal because these claims they make cannot be credibly challenged. And finally, we must mention the, uh, the offensive strategy in scandal in Japanese, seme no senryaku, and this includes counterattacking the accusations, filing labels, or suing publishers. Perhaps the most uh, famous case of the offensive strategy was the Olympus scandal and the case of Michael Woodford, the British businessman who was uh, the head of Olympus for a brief period of time. And he used the offensive strategy. He counterattacked the accusation and created another sort of scandal, another second-order transgression, where he successfully brought down the whole leadership of Olympus. And a similar thing we can notice in the Nissan scandal and the case of Carlos Ghosn. Again, he chose to be offensive. He chose to offend the accusation. So you see, uh, it is not as fixed as it looks like. Uh, nonetheless, the most usual and the most frequent strategy is the apologetic strategy, Shazai Nosendia. So this was for the, the uh, confession part. Now, the second part in my framework is the exclusion. Now, in a typical Japanese scandal, the confession is followed by this symbolic or actual exclusion of the transgressor. So the transgressor is usually made to retreat to the background and is not seen on stage, either political or entertainment, for a certain period of time. And here I argued again that the ritual of exclusion shows some affinity with the traditional rituals of Japanese civil religion or Shimin Shukyo. In this civil religion, the ritual of exclusion is realized via the practice of village ostracism in Japanese Murahachibu, which is basically a ritual for regulating group behavior and is based on cutting community ties with the transgressor. In other words, the transgressor is sent to a social exile. For example, in the world of entertainment or gay no kai, the exposed celebrities are excluded from their talent agencies in Japanese jimusho, and they are not seen on stage for months, time, sometimes years, depending on the gravity of the transgression. And finally, the last element in my framework is the uh, reintegration. Once a scandal is transmitted by the media, the ritual of exclusion really appears damning for one's career. It is a form of humilitainment 
as one commentator used this word, where you actually combine humiliation and entertainment. Nonetheless, the elites and they fall from grace. It's never as catastrophic as the Japanese media like to portray it. Because the elites can be prosecuted after a scandal, but they are rarely convicted. Some are fired, but not criminally charged, while others avoid direct punishment via a suspended sentence. But the most of politicians scheme their comeback as soon as their scandal fades out. While uh, Japanese celebrities, return to, they return to stage once their social exile has been lifted by the agency. So, in other words, the entertainment industry recycles the celebrity because her market value is too high to be wasted altogether because of a scandal. Thank you. In combining scandals with rituals, you explain in your article that it's a means of clarifying in a secular society what is good or bad behavior, something you term as the civil religion, as you've mentioned. However, given the frequency of scandals in Japanese media, do they really discourage bad behavior in social elites, or is it merely seen as bad luck for those unable to hide their deviant actions behind a public image of trustworthiness? Yes, it's the latter one. You put it perfectly. Generally, the term ritual has been associated with the concept of social integration, while the media support this process of integration. So the media present a morality tale which separates the good, the sacred, and the bad, the profane. But just like you said, the scandals hardly discourage bad behavior among social elites. Now, 10 years ago, I conducted three case studies on three Japanese scandals. A celebrity scandal of Sakai Noriko, a political scandal of Ozawa Ichiro, and uh, the corporate scandal of the Olympus Corporation. And these were truly big scandals that were supposed to change the mindset of the elites and prevent similar scandals in future. There was so much fuss in the media about these scandals being really the turning point. However, if I look at it now, one decade later, the celebrity drug scandals, they grew even more prevalent with as many as three national idols indicted only in one year in, uh, in 2018. The political corruption and donation scandals became even more frequent after the power shift in 2012. That was again meant to be a change in the, in the morality of politicians. Nothing happened. And many cabinet members, including the prime minister, were involved in some form of corruption. And finally, the corporate corruption, after 10 years, is still being exposed on a regular basis. And this is the case of many top-tier Japanese manufacturers. So it is really the case that the morality tale is not as effective as it looks like. And what's even more staggering is that Japanese scandals, they seem to have little to no effect, but as a matter of fact, they can have contradictory effects. And this is quite important because let's take a look at the Sakai Noriko scandal I mentioned earlier. That was one of the biggest Japanese celebrity scandals ever. 
But after the drug scandal, the Japanese Broadcasting Ethics Corporation or organization, BPO, announced that the overheated media coverage of Sakai's case actually aroused interest in drugs among Japanese youth. Moreover, the media circus around Sakai Noriko actually aroused interest in Sakai's music. So it is usually the case that the, the recording company responds to the scandal by withdrawing the celebrity's music from circulation. And that happened also in Sakai's case. However, during the Sakai scandal and after her confession, one of her songs became the best-selling song on the iTunes store in Japan. <laughs> so obviously, the morality tale where a disgraced celebrity is not worth following did not work well with Japanese audiences. So I would conclude that mm, Japanese scandals are typical for this enormous media circus on the one hand, and the insignificant or even contradictory impact on the other hand. That's fascinating. In scandal studies, there is this theory called no consequence theory. And this theory approaches scandal as a non-transformative media event. In other words, scandals do not really transform the elite's mindset and so on. And neither are they taken seriously by the Japanese populace. So they may, the scandals may have a certain impact on the individual involved, but in Japan, they really have no really impact on the processes that shape social and political life. So uh, I'm, I'm a bit skeptical here, but I would uh, say that uh, Japanese scandals today serve more as a form of, form of spectacle and entertainment that seek to scapegoat the transgressor, the, the transgressor while generating greater commercial profits for the mass media. I see. Yes, that's really fascinating. I mean, it, it sounds to me that uh, when it comes to corporations, scandals are simply a way of saving face rather than leading to social change. And even, even for celebrities, it can be good press to get, get better coverage um, and it's a means of benefiting from such exposure it's uh, yeah, very contradictory. One point in your article which caught my interest was how scandals can see rare public displays of emotion through tears and outbursts, something you point to as an example of how the ritual of scandal can reverse social norms could you expand on that for us? Of course uh, tears and lacrimation is super important in Japanese scandals. In Japan, uh, people are by nature rather soft on tears, and this sentiment gets partly reflected in scandals too, especially during the apologetic press conferences. And the thing is that the Japanese usually tend to hide their inner feelings in public, you know, so bursting into tears in front of others uh, can be seen as a disturbance in Japanese meiwaku and worry in Japanese shimpai. But just like you mentioned, the ritual of scandal reverses this norm for that specific situation only. What is important during the uh, confessions 
is the display of deference, in Japanese, enryo, and endurance, in Japanese, gaman. But this gaman is simultaneously expected to be broken as the tears well up. And this is the moment the photographers are waiting for. <laughs> so, in other words, the scandal confession becomes more effective if the confessor offers a glimpse into his or her true inner feelings. In Japanese, we have a word for it, it's honne. So, it's good uh, when the confessor shows a little bit of honne instead of performing the tatemae, the facade all the time. And this honne is something that can be best expressed by sobbing and crying. If you want to understand why are Japanese celebrities, but also politicians, crying during their confessions, we should once again go back to the methods of Japanese uh, justice system as such. The interrogation process in Japan with the offender is designed to inflict emotional and psychological stress. And this is usually done by subjecting the offender to exhausting interrogations in order to get a full confession. So ideally, Japanese of offenders fully acknowledge their transgression and they apologize in tears which is believed to reduce their punishment in turn. And it actually does reduce their punishment if they fully confess in tears. So breaking the, the offender into tears during a confession is a sentiment we can see in media scandals as well in Japan, especially the celebrity scandals. But even the heavyweight politicians, such as Ozawa Ichiro, they shed a tear or two during their press conference. And it is basically believed that lacrimation leads to a more lenient sentence. Uh, so, for example, it can affect how long will the celebrity have to stay in a social exile in their private prison after she was excluded. Finally, when we talk about tears, it is also important to mention the phenomenon of shaming in Japanese context. In traditional rituals, the impact of a transgression pushes a community to undertake a variety of collective actions. And one of those action is, actions is the public shaming. And in, Japan, in the Japanese context, the embarrassment is integral, integral to the moral discourse. And, this, this, and in this discourse, the shaming, or to put it better, the threat of shaming, contributes to social maintenance. Now, in scandals, the function of shaming becomes, of course, emphasized. What is important is that scandals appear to be humiliating and stigmatizing, and I would even say sadistic, but the temporary public shaming is a necessary part of the ritual. And this is done for the sake of future reintegration. So if possible, the transgressor should shed a tear or two for the cameras 
Because for the audience, the tears or the tears test proves that the process of self-reflection in Japanese hansei is authentic and plausible. And let me illustrate this obsession with tears in Japanese scandals by, again, the scandal of Sakai Noriko. Uh, I already mentioned the case of uh, the, the drug scandal of Sakai Noriko. Uh, and there was this conference, press conference, and Sakai was following the script and she started crying during her confession. And guess what? The media commentators recorded 22 large teardrops rolling down Sakai's cheeks. But this was not enough. The authenticity of Sakai's tears was doubted and criticized because Sakai allegedly used a special makeup that makes the tears more visible for the cameras. So you can see in this and other cases how important lacrimation and tears are uh, in Japanese uh, scandal confessions. It's unbelievable to hear that someone could be trying to emphasize their tears. That's, uh, yeah, wow. And someone, um, someone yeah. actually counting the tears, you know. Like <laughs> there, there has to be this one reporter assigned to only count the tears, the tears rolling down the cheeks. Yeah. But still it is not enough because uh, Sakai was faking her performance by not being authentic enough because of the special makeup, you know. You can see how deep the analysis can go when the studio commentators try to really make so much edo about nothing, actually. Yeah. I'd like to, for the last question, turn to a bit of a global comparison because it seems that when reading through your article and hearing you talking about the ritual of confession to a scandal. One thing that surprises me is how I, I can't imagine politicians in my country, the UK, <laughs> to just openly admitting when they've done wrong. The, the circus we have over here is the defensive measures that any celebrity or politician will, will take the minute anything comes out, even when there's solid evidence. I mean, Donald Trump was an excellent example of this, who even in the face of blatant evidence would just deny everything to the bitter end, and it's, it's quite a juxtaposition. So what is it about scandals in a Japanese context that drew you to study them in particular, and what can we apply to scandals elsewhere from your findings? Mm -hmm. In the beginning, as I said earlier, I was simply astonished by the media extravaganza that surrounded every minor transgression, again, in a society that emphasizes consensus and harmony. And first, I thought that scandals were not worthy of a serious attention. And this changed because later I came to realize that scandals actually can represent the culturally meaningful product, as Clifford Geertz would put it, because scandals can reveal a great deal about the society which produces them. And... I developed my interest in Japanese scandals after I was literally touched by one of them. And it was, once again, the celebrity drug scandal of Sakai Noriko from 2009. And when I remember the whole situation, it was one early morning, summer morning, and I was awakened in my Tokyo dormitory 
which was located on the artificial island of Odaiba. And I was awakened in my dorm by these buzzing sounds of helicopters approaching my location. <laughs> and the situation really resembled that of a serial killer chase or something. But I, I soon found out that the media circus pointed to Sakai Noriko, you know, a popular Japanese idol who was now being held for illicit drug use in Odaiba prison. And the prison was located right next to my dormitory. So needless to say, the helicopters belonged to Japanese media organization who struggled to offer a glimpse of Sakai's, you know, fall from grace from the bird's eye perspective, even, you know, they couldn't get any closer. So the helicopters were circling around the prison and only, you know, taking pictures of where exactly is the celebrity located. So this was a mega spectacle par excellence. Douglas Kellner would uh, put it this way, mega spectacle. And this event drew me to study Japanese scandals in a more serious way. As for the second question, in terms of what can we apply to scandals elsewhere from my data, well, I hope that the article offers an opportunity to see how scandals play out in a liberal democratic system that, however, that, however differs in many respects from the United States and Europe. And in my article, I was talking about the ritual of affliction a ritual which, which needs to be done when there is a certain pollution in a community. And this is a universal phenomenon that occurs in many other cultures, either in a traditional form as this collective ritual based on the tenets of civil religion, or in a modern form as a media scandal based on the media production logic and so on. But in both ways, it is a ritual of purification through punishment, and the implications are quite universal, I believe. And the Japanese case, which is quite particular precisely for this ritualization, can serve as a comparison uh, to other cultures and their means of managing conflict in society. And in any society, however, the truth about a scandal once it is mediated, will be always more or less distorted and constructed by the media organization because the media are facing various ideological and commercial pressures. So this is something we can apply to scandals elsewhere, I believe. I see. Thank you for answering all of my questions, Igor. Before we finish the episode, could you share with us what other projects are currently working on? Yes. Uh, this month, I'm attending two Japan-related conferences. Uh, and in the first case, I am presenting my paper on Japanese cuteness, in Japanese kawaii. So in this project, I'm looking at the theory, psychology, and his the history of the kawaii phenomenon in Japan. So this is more of a cultural project. And in the second case, uh, at the other conference, I'm presenting a paper at... Uh, at the conference titled Post-Olympics Japan, organized by the University of Zurich, 
And my paper focuses on the Olympic logo scandal and the case of Sano Kenjiro, the Japanese designer who created the Olympic logo in 2015, but the logo was scrapped because it was basically a copy of a copy. So I will be discussing this phenomenon. And finally, my other research project focuses on the anti-hero theory. So anti-heroism in popular culture, but I apply anti-hero theory to the political context. So I have this new paper in print, which analyzes the US ex-president Donald Trump as a political anti-hero. And the, the aim is to understand the immense pop the popularity of Donald Trump by analyzing his persona through traditional mythology and contemporary transgressive fiction. So I'm looking at the archetypes the president is uh, resembling, which are, among others, uh, the rebel, the outsider, the trickster, the narcissist, the Machiavelli, and the psychopath. So this is yet another form of research. And last but not least, as I mentioned earlier, I am a musician and a guitarist in a Czech progressive rock band called Nantoka Naru. This is, uh, you know, the Japanese word meaning that everything will be all right. So Nantoka Naru. And we are just releasing, um, releasing a new EP, which is heavily influenced by Japanese culture and society. So this is yet another Japan-related project I'm working on right now. Excellent. Well, lots for us to sink our teeth into then. Thank you, Igor. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, and I hope we'll hear each other soon again. You can find a link to Igor's research profile in the description below. Next week, we'll be joined by Dr. Rumi Sakamoto to discuss remembering the kamikaze and the role of affect in war memory. Rumi shares with us how the image of the kamikaze has gone from one of shunned fanaticism to self-sacrificing heroism in popular culture through Japan's post-war history. Looking at their representation in the Yushukan Museum of War at Yasukuni Shrine, Rumi also unpacks how affects can draw out the desired emotional response from visitors, regardless of their preconceptions of kamikaze, and how emotion can lend authenticity to historically problematic narratives. We hope you'll join us then. Thank you for listening.